Here's a story about a pair of e-commerce siblings who are pros at getting their Amazon listings optimized. They're going to give us their best tips on everything from copying the listing to your Amazon photography. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. And we've got two people on completely other sides of the world to me here. First of all, we've got Leilama. Leilama, where are you at right now? I'm in Canada, Alberta. You're in Canada and uh, your brother from the same mother, not brother from another mother, like we usually say, uh, Saddam. Saddam, where are you at right now? I am in Pakistan at the moment. Pakistan. All right. So we got an international podcast that we're doing today. Now, how I like to always start these is, you know, no matter where we end up kind of in our e-commerce journey, our origin, you know, maybe, maybe we're in a similar place now, you know, different guests I have, but our origin story is almost always completely different. So. You being in, in Pakistan now, is that where you're originally from, Saddam, or your family is from? Yeah, so uh, born and raised in Pakistan. And, uh, you know, we lived in quite a few different cities uh, in Pakistan. And then I moved when I was 17. So pretty early, moved there for university to Canada. To Canada. Okay. Yeah. It's not too cold for you? Like, I, I couldn't live in Canada. That's too cold for me. <laughs> Yeah, it is very cold. Uh, still, I'm not acclimated to the weather, but you know, it's got better opportunities, so that's why I'm. I like living in Canada. Cool. Now, now, are you are you older than Leilama? Who's who's the older one here? Unfortunately, I'm the eldest, so obviously, all the responsibilities are on my shoulder. There we go. So sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. You know, people tell me being an only child, oh, you know, you're you're spoiled and, and things like that, but. Uh, it's actually the opposite. People don't realize that, you know, if there is something that went wrong, I have nobody to blame. So I, I'm sure when maybe something went wrong in your house, maybe you could tell your parents it was Le Lama who did it or something, but I never had that opportunity in my house. But anyways, speaking of your childhood, growing up, let's start with Le, Le Lama. Like, what did you envision as far as your professional career? Like, did you want to be a firefighter or <laughs> what did you want to do when you were younger? Uh, well, my dad was in accounting and I've studied accounting and finance. That's what I majored in. So I had not thought of being in the e-commerce industry at all. It was uh, completely different. I saw myself as, you know, so you mean even you were like 10 years old and, and you were like, I want to be an accountant when I grow up. Uh, well, so when I was 10, um, not really, but I knew like I kind of wanted to do like I had not thought about being in this industry at all. It was more about like either teaching or yeah, I did uh, look up to my dad. So accounting was definitely something I was, you know, interested okay. in. Mm -hmm. I feel sorry. Your childhood does not sound very exciting if your life goals <laughs> is to be accountant. But hey, to each of the two. Each of what about you, Saddam? Did you have some more uh, interesting ambitions when you were younger? Yeah, you're going to find this funny, but I am a designated accountant by profession, um, used to be. Uh, but when I was growing up, I wanted to be a corporate lawyer. So very corporate environment in our household, I think. 
And that's I need to have a talk with your, 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 your parents. Uh, <laughs> that, 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 that's just uh, <laughs> very interesting. You know, I, I actually, I'm sure there's many parents out there who are like, man, I would love for my kids to wish they were an accountant or lawyer when they grow up. But that's, that's interesting <laughs> to have two people have those kind of ambitions. Now, did both of you go to university? Yeah. So um, I, I went for accounting and finance. Um, that's what I did my undergrad in. Okay. And you, Saddam? Uh, same here for me, I went to university and then I did three years of my designation. Um, you know, even my professional career is in financial planning and analysis and it's, it's very numbers oriented. After graduating, then it sounds like you said, um, went into that field directly, like straight away. Did you go into the financial field up, upon graduating university? Uh, that's correct. Yeah. So I was, um, you know, looking for different opportunities with an accounting firm, but I landed in the industry and fun fact is I landed in supply chain. So I used to work with DHL supply chain, which is the biggest supply chain company in the world. And, um, right when I ended my job, I was managing $200 million in revenue per annum. Or different sites and my focus basically was financial planning analysis and my academics really was focused on strategic governance more exciting things that you're, you're talking about there oh my goodness like but the one part that's exciting there was like managing 200 million that, that's kind of like you know that would seem like it, it is actually is you know seriously speaking uh, uh something exciting to do so what was it though that that had you looking elsewhere or had you looking to sell on amazon because if somebody's you know, doing their lifelong dream, you know, what they wanted to do when they were growing up. Like you, you usually don't go looking for other things to do, you know, be it Amazon or be it an entrepreneurial kind of thing to do. So what motivated you to kind of look into other avenues? Yeah. So basically what I like telling people is accounting is pretty much the anatomy of business. So you learn different parts of the body of business. And when I learned that, and I was working with quite a lot of startups and I was managing the budget for them. I just thought, you know, I can create something on my own and I know how to work it out. I know how to create a brand from there and scale it up. So that was the intent behind looking elsewhere. Um, how, now, how I ended up doing Amazon is a completely different story, but uh, that was the initiation of my entrepreneurial journey. Okay, cool. What about you, Leila? I'm a, did, upon graduating university, did you also hop into the financial world? That's correct. Yeah, I was uh, in the banking industry. So a lot of investments, mortgages, stuff like that. And then what about you? Like, was that fulfilling work for you or were you, did you have an entrepreneurial bug at all? Uh, for me, it was more of the artsy side of me. Like I always was into accounting and stuff like that. But then on the other side, I also like design um, and photography. So um, photography is what got me into it, basically. It was just me initially that I started. I started doing retail arbitrage. Um, it was very good to start with, but it's a lot of sweat equity. You have to be out in the store yeah. hunting for products back and forth. Uh, but then I tried, uh, you know, doing my own private label and I brought in Lenama with me. And yeah, that, that was pretty much the start was 2017 summer is when we started. What was your first product? I believe it was Spice Tins, which was a pretty successful launch. Spice what? I'm sorry. Uh, so Spice Tins, they're like magnetic Spice Tins that you can attach to uh, fridges and, you know, just anywhere on your kitchen counter. He said that you 
you were kind of like the the product finder in those days. So were you the one who found that, Leilama? Yeah, yeah, that was me. So how did how did you find that? I mean, Helium 10 wasn't around too much in those days. So like what what like did did you search using tools or or did you just have this idea that this would be a cool product to sell? Well, um okay, so I really like shopping and I like to look at brands and you know the design aspect of marketing so you know i'd be i'd always be thinking about how one can improve a product and um i just thought we were in the we wanted to do kitchen household items so i just thought about spice tins and i'm like hey you know if we were if we could come up with spice tins that you could refill good for the environment and maybe like attach it to the fridge that'll be easy like you know I was just thinking of ways how it could make life easier for people or at least myself. Um, and, you know, then you won't have to go through closets looking for spices. So that's kind of where mm-hmm. the idea came from. And I was kind of initially looking for something that was a little different, like a bit of a niche market. Um, and then I started using tools. So a bit of okay. helium 10. Yeah. Okay. So then... You say it was a successful product, your very first product. Like, oh, uh, what was success to you guys? Like, how many sales uh, were you doing a day or a year? Or how, did, how did you measure success? Yeah, so the niche was not too big. I mean, the, the top two, three spots, they were doing about 7 to 8K uh, in revenue per month. So okay. we, yeah, we were able to rank it up in the top five spots for the main keyword. And, uh, you know, the, for us, the success was getting that... 80-20 split between organic and advertising sales. So we got it to that point, and then we kind of ran into a supply chain issue, but that's when we decided, you know, that was way after, and um, we had this other venture to take care of. So we liquidated and then moved our money into the current business that we have. Okay, so I know, yeah, I know you're not selling on Amazon now, but what, what was... At your peak year, how much did you sell for gross sales on Amazon? So unfortunately, I wasn't able to scale it too much. Um, I jumped out of Amazon pretty quickly. I, I think we were, if, if I talk about revenue rate, we were definitely going to close at around 250, 300. Uh, mm-hmm. But very early in the year, you know, we pulled out with 70K uh, in that year. And it was just outside of the first quarter. Okay. So now like, you know, that's interesting because some people say, Oh, you know, I don't want to, you know, deal with consultants who haven't been in the game and, and who weren't huge sellers and stuff like that. But me, you know, when I was a consultant for Amazon sellers, I had never sold private label on Amazon. You know, I, I just taught it to myself and I always work for other companies and I had never done my own, my own business before. So you guys actually had way more experience th- th- than me, but what, what made you guys jump out so quote unquote soon? Like, you know, you're scaling up the business, but you're like kind of right away, you're like, hey, you know what? I think I want to pivot and be a consultant instead of running my own business. What, what, what was your motivation for that, that pivot? So it was more from an involvement in the community. Um, we run meetups or conferences in five, six different cities all around Canada. And when we were doing that, what, what I realized was, you know, there was a scarcity of agencies that were the prime companies for these kind of services. And initially it was just interest from other sellers who wanted to learn about Amazon from myself and from some other people that we have in that meetup group. 
And um, afterwards, they wanted to see if they could use our own freelancers that we use. But unfortunately, when you use a lot of freelancers, their way of providing the service is not very standardized. And that's what I kind of wanted to bring in uh, to the mix as well. Learning from Amazon, what I did with my own products, and you know, Nelama can testify to this, is I experimented a lot with my products. So I wasn't chasing success. I was doing a lot of split testing and trying out different things, running data analytics. Like when we launched our first product, my first thing was to see all the different reports that Amazon can produce or generate within its platform. And once I learned that, I looked at the key metrics and I said, okay, you know, if instead we use, instead of using freelancers, if we have people who can uh, follow a streamlined process and good standard operating procedures, we can excel in this, um, in this market that is more service oriented. And the other thing, quite frankly, you know, like I said, having a background of financial planning, I know how much the Amazon business is a cash flow business. You need a lot of working capital. So even if you're doing $1 million in revenue, uh, there's a lot of cash flow that's tied up because of inventory. So I wanted to move to a model where there were bigger margins and it wasn't too capital intensive. Okay. That's interesting. Now, the, the, for the rest of the episode, we're going to be kind of talking about what I believe, you know, uh, I believe is uh, your specialty. One of your specialties is, is kind of like listing optimization a, a, as a whole. From what I understand, you know, Saddam, you, you are very good at the, the more of the copy, you know, side of it. And Leilama, of course, the, uh, the photography. So let's start with the photography side. What is the top two things that are, that really make the biggest difference in affecting your sales like that, that people can do, like what should they be asking for when they go to professional photographers? I think one of the main things is, um, an image design plan. That's really important. You need your, you need to have about six to seven, depending on whether you want a video or not, but, uh, you need to see, if, you know, like research the product, you need to have good product research. So, you know, that way you can determine how the split between the photos is going to be. Um, like, let's say it's more of a techie product. You want to give more information on it. Um, so I think a good image design plan is really important. And then, yes, you can take pictures from your iPhone, but there's so much competition out there. I would recommend using like a good camera and lens. So the picture quality would be the second part of it. Okay, cool. Now on the flip side, what are the, let's just say, let's call it the two biggest mistakes that you see people have done. Like I'm sure a lot of people who come to you, they probably already have listings and they're just kind of maybe either failing or they're like not doing well. And they're like, Hey, what are we doing wrong? Can you help us? Like in your experience, Lilama, what are the two biggest mistakes that people are doing now when it comes to product photography for their Amazon listings? I still see a lot of images, uh, like the, f I think the main image is really important because that's where you get all your clicks from. And, um, a lot of the times the main image is either like not as zoomed in. We recommend like zooming it in by 85%. So every time people are scrolling from their phones, they can see as much of the product as possible. And it has to be 
you know, posed in a way that it looks really attractive in order to get as many uh, clicks as possible. So that's one of the biggest mistakes, the main image. And secondly, um, you know, they're just going to put it with irrelevant props. So it doesn't really tell much of a story. Um, I think having relevant props, whether that's models or you know, just uh, staging it with the right products around it is really important to tell your brand story, to tell the product uh, category story. Okay, very good. Now let's flip to more of the, the copy side, you know, like title, bullet points, uh, description. Saddam, what, what, are, what are the two top things that for you are, are so vital for people to be implementing in their listing optimization process? Right. So I, for any content, it's what we have to fundamentally understand is people make decisions based on the images. If you look at a product listing, it's pretty much Amazon's listing is designed just like a newspaper. So there's above the fold and there's below the fold. So traditionally, if you look at a newspaper, people get hooked from above the fold material and then they make a decision based on below the fold which is basically if you're brand registered, you get A plus content. So a lot of visual component is what uh, customers take in in order to make a decision. Whereas the content side is more for indexing and visibility and exposure of the listing. So when it comes to content, it's mostly research-based. You have to look at the top listings and see which ones are doing it the right way and then inculcate their strategies for the content to your own listing. That's pretty much it. I like it. I like it. Now, what, what on the flip side, what about the two biggest mistakes that you see sellers making right now with their copy on the listing optimization process? Right. I think, um, you know, I'm a big fan of having a stuffed title, but at the same time, the title has to be well organized. Um, there's studies that suggest that people, when they search for a keyword and they see it in the title, the click-through rate for those product, uh, products tend to be up because people like clicking on what they've searched for. Uh, so if your title is not organized, your click-through rate is going to suffer. Uh, secondly, the product features, yes, a lot of it is keyword stuffing and it has to be keyword rich for it to be indexed. But in, at the same time, it has to have a flow to it. It needs to be talking about the features, how they can use it, where they can use it, what is the customer service component of it. And that's how you get hooked um, on the product. So in order to ramp up your conversion, the features have to be well organized within the bullet points. And that's what I see a lot of people not doing. Okay, excellent, excellent. Alay Lama, going back to the images, you know, obviously there's a lot of, a lot of different kinds of images out there. You know, there's the main image, which has to have the white background, but a lot of people, you know, understand that, but then we start talking about the other images and that's where people start having, you know, doubts about which direction they should go. So when you get a new project or a new client comes on, let's talk first about infographic. Do you always use an infographic, no matter what kind of product it is, is my first question. And then my second question would be, how do you start to, to storyboard your plan of attack or, or how, how do you plan what kind of infographic the, the product is going to need? Right. So um, first there's like white background images, infographics and lifestyle. Uh, lifestyle is basically just, I'm just going to talk about that just to give like a whole background on 
what it all in, it includes. Sure. So lifestyle will just be like a person envisioning themselves using that product. So that's what lifestyle is. Now that could be like, for example, if it's like a beauty product, you want to, you know, use a model for that because if I put it among other products, it's not going to stand out. Right. But let's say if it's like, let's say a diffuser, I want to stage it with, um, essential oils, maybe. So that's the lifestyle aspect of it. And there's white background, obviously main, used for the main image. Now, infographics, in my opinion, can be broken down into many different types. That could include like a how to use. Uh, so again, an instructional picture on how to use that's mostly used for technology, um, like techie products, for example. And then there's dimensions. I think that's an important one um, because it's an online store you need to give the customer an experience of a brick and mortar store. So uh, you want to give them the dimensions, how the texture of the product is. That's an image you can utilize for, you know, giving them that idea, right? Um, so infographics is definitely a must because it gives information to the customer. Um, depending on the product, I mean, I'll do my research and how complicated it is then depends on what kind of an inf infographic image I'm going to go for. Um, if it's like a straightforward product, then maybe it won't have as many infographics. It'll have more lifestyle images, but if it needs a lot of explaining to do, then I will have like another infographic explaining the features of it or different qualities of it and yeah, so on and so forth. And then what, what about what is something that somebody wouldn't want to do for infographic? like something that's against Amazon terms of service. Is there anything that people should be, be aware of, you know, like yeah. maybe making claims or, or, yes. or putting yeah. like any promotional? Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Claims is an important one. I see a lot of listings still having a lot of claims, like, you know, giving guarantees for certain things that it isn't guaranteed to do. Right. So that's a big no, no. You wouldn't want to put a claim that it can't, the product can't fulfill. That's against the policies of Amazon. And uh, yes, of course, you want to keep the, the images decent looking, you know, something that anyone, people of any age can uh, click on. Okay. One thing I'd like Excellent. to add to that is sure. there's, Amazon does not have a list of keywords or words or claims that you can make um, that you can't make. But what it does have is a list of prohibited products. And that is a very good gauge of understanding what claims to not make on your listing. Let's say if I'm selling supplemental, like supplements or like pills, um, as an example, like keto pills, we can't talk about or claim on the images or even in the copy that it's going to help you lose weight or burn fat. You know, all of those things, there's almost like it's, it's, a very tactful thing to do and you have to be very careful in the messaging that you're giving to the customers because if there's any gray area or suspicion amazon will block your uh listing and, and suspend it yeah absolutely and now, now sticking with you for a second saddam what what about titles you know obviously we all know title is the most important part of the listing probably you know both both from just the customer standpoint but also from the amazon algorithm standpoint so when you get a new client or, or you're working on a new listing, what's your process as far as how you decide how long the title is going to be, what keywords you're going to put in there, et cetera. Walk us through some kind of high level things that you go through. Right. So, um, I 
focus more on the analytics before I jump in on any of the niches. Um, my first technique is, um, for those of you who are brand registered, there's brand analytics. So whenever you search a keyword, it gives you the top three listings for that keyword. Now there's click share and then there's conversion share. Click share basically is out of all the clicks for that keyword, how many clicks is one particular product getting? Conversion share, same thing. Out of all the conversions, what is the percentage of conversion that they're getting? Now, for those of you who are like seasoned sellers, um, you guys know that the best pulse or the best metric for any listing is a unit session percentage. The way to kind of track a unit session percentage for other products out in the market is if their conversion share is greater than their click share, that means they have a strong and healthy unit session percentage. So what I, what I like doing is I look at those products and I see exactly what they've done. I kind of reverse engineer. Their so, way so, no, so in other words, like if you're looking at the brand analytics and they get, let's just say 15% of the clicks, but as far as the conversions, they're getting 40% of the conversions, then it's showing that, that they're a stronger product for that, for that keyword. Exactly. And then the other tip um, or the other technique that I use is I live and breathe uh, by Cerebro. Um, you know, I use it for quite a lot of things. You can use it for product research too, but in terms of getting the listings, what I do is I, I would look at the top three, five listings, three to five listings for any keyword, and then I'll run Cerebro on it. Um, for the ones that have a lot of Amazon choice badges or bestseller badges, I look at those listings in specific because they must be doing something right in order to get badges for those keywords. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Let's go back to LA Lama now. What's your strategy for when you have a customer who, who has brand registry and now they want to do the, the A plus plus, or, you know, I believe formerly known as EBC listings, do you always recommend taking advantage of the ability to put a video? in the images section? Um, it also depends on the client's preference, but um, I think a video is really important because it can clearly explain what the product is used for, or you know, maybe you can highlight some of its features via the video. Uh, but other than that, just like a strategy I really like is you want to explain to the audience like an A to Z image of your product. So I would start off with like the product specifications and uh, move on to, for example, like its weights, its dimensions, so on and so forth, explaining what it's used for. And then maybe move on to the product category explanation, why one should even go for this specific category. And then at the end, put in your branding elements, whether that's logos or telling your brand story. Um, so that's, uh, just one of the strategies I like using for EBC or A++ content. In the video, like how do you determine what kind of video? Like let's say you do decide, hey, yeah, we definitely want the, the last one to be a video. You know, with all the different kinds of videos out there, like for example, it could be one that looks like an unboxing where it just shows their hand or it could be one that you're trying to show how to install it or how to assemble it. Or it could be kind of like almost like a one minute QVC style one where you have a host and, and they talk about it. Like, how do you decide what style of video works for, for that product? I think that QVC is fine, but I 
it's definitely not the best among all the different kinds of videos. I would like, let's say it's a neck pillow, for example, and you want to show an instruction, instructional aspect of it. So you're showing them how to install it, but then at the same time, you also want to use it and showcase to the uh, audience how it's bringing ease to your uh, customer, whoever buys it. So it really depends. Like if it's, you either want to showcase the, you know, features, but yeah, it just really depends on the product. Um, if, if it's not that complicated, then you may want to stay away from doing an instructional kind of a video. Okay. L let's go uh, over to Saddam now. Like let's talk about bullet points a little bit. You know, we talked about the title, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of strategy out there for bullet points, you know, something that I've always talked about how in the first ones, you, you, you also want to sometimes try and make an emotional connection with your buyer. You know, it's not just about keyword stuffing, but, but what about just length of bullet points overall? Like how do you determine, Hey, are we going to put a hundred characters per line? Are we going to put 200? Are we going to go more? Do I, do I put bold the first letters? Do I put emojis? Talk us through what, what you feel are, are like the hot topics about bullet point listing optimization strategy. Right. So we obviously do the traditional approach where the header of the bullet point is bold and it's all caps. And then after that, you know, we have, let's say 200, 300 characters for a whole bullet point. We don't do a lot of emojis just because it is non-compliant and it tends to grab attention, but at the same time also jeopardizes your listing in the long run. But what we can do is, like you said, spark that emotional connection in the first bullet point where, you know, instead of just being talking about the features of the product, we talk what is different. So uh, let's suppose like a lot of uh, brands nowadays are tying it, their products into the social element of it. So let's say if they're donating 10% to a foundation, you know, that's something we would call out in our images plus the content as well. And, um, or if it's a product where we're talking about, you know, there's not a lot of awareness, um, that's where we give them extra tips on it. So it's not just about what this product is, but it's also tips on how to use the product effectively. Sometimes they don't even know. And when we can highlight that in the first bullet point, it grabs the attention. It's just like a blog, right? So if, if you read the first line or two and if it grabs your attention, you're going to end up reading the whole thing. I've heard a lot of conflicting stories through the times about the meta information on images. So do you guys even care what is in the metadata of the images, like as if it gets indexed or not? Or is that like kind of like urban legend that, that you can get some special indexing by, by hiding some things in the meta information? You know, a lot of these uh, practices are stemming from Google. So metadata on images, canonical URLs, all of these things, um, in theory, they should work. But no one's really done a comprehensive case study to support that. There's a lot of people who claim that these work. Uh, we've done that in the past, but again, we haven't tracked because it's hard to split test something like that. And uh, for that, you need one big storefront, which has one category, probably 100 SKUs, and you can split test on pretty much all the products and track it for maybe a month or two. So if someone's down to do that case study with me, um, I'm down as well. But 
as far as whether we've seen success with it. We've done it, but there's no successful story that I can share with you. Okay, cool. Now we're going to get into each of your, what we call 30 second tips, your best strategy for our listeners out there. But before we do that, we're going to play the search volume game, right? So I know both of you guys you use Helium 10 religiously, so do not have Helium 10 open right now. Don't be, don't be a cheater. I'm going to give you guys four keywords and I'm going to give you four search volumes. Usually I only do three, but since you're two people, you're a tag team duo here, I'm going to give you a, an extra one. So you're basically going to try and match the search volume to the keyword. All right. So I'm going to give you the four keywords, and this is just from the longest keyword to the shortest keyword. And the four keywords are magnetic spice rack or refrigerator. Next one is spice rack organizer for cabinet. Next one is spice rack organizer. And the shortest keyword there is spice storage. Now the four search volumes, the estimated monthly search volumes, I'm going to go from least to most. The one that is searched for the least has about 2000 searches a month, 1,900 about. The next one is about 2,500. The next one doubles more than doubles up to 6,000 searches a month. And the one that is searched for the most of these four keywords is 44,000. Which one goes to which search volume? So, Lelama, I think uh, magnetic spice rack for refrigerators would be yeah. refrigerator would be the most, right? Yeah. Um, because yeah, because that, what, what was the shortest, Bradley? Yes. Uh, spice storage. So, as far as number of letters is spice storage, uh, spice rack spice organizer, rack. spice rack organizer for cabinet, and magnetic spice rack for refrigerator. Okay. I think spice storage would be the lowest because I don't see anyone... Um, I mean, I, I think less it's people would search for that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's so spice big. storage is our lowest, um, magnetic spice rack for, um, refrigerator is probably the highest, uh, that I'm a year on the same page as me, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then cabinet would probably be 4,000, the spice rack organizer cabinet. You got one, right? Out of four. Oh my God. All right. So this is going to be a surprise <laughs> to you. Just one. Okay. The, the number one of 44,000 is Spice Rack Organizer for Cabinet. 44,000 searches. All right. Wow. Number two, wow. uh, I think this is the one you guys got right. A Spice Rack Organizer is 6,000, about. Number three with 2,400 is spice storage. And the lowest one is magnetic spice rack for refrigerator. So wow. uh, I guess that's good that you got, that was what you, uh, I believe you sold. I mean, as, yeah. as yeah. Lama was talking about that, I was like searching for it online and that was what I was coming up with right now, but it just goes. So maybe it's good that you guys got out of that business because your magnetic one now is the least searched out of everything. But so, <laughs> but again, the, my point in doing this, which I'm sure you guys can attest to is I love to illustrate the importance of everybody to use the tools like Helium 10 to do the research, because what we might personally think is the most searched thing or the kind of keywords that we would search for is not necessarily what the majority of customers do. So always do the research and rely on the data instead of our own, our own preferences. Otherwise we would have gone all in Leilama and Saddam again on magnetic spice racks and they would have been uh, left with a lot of inventory, I, I think. hundred percent. Um, all right. Now we got to the part of the show that we call the or the TST 30 second tip. There's two of you. So each of you can give one. Basically this is, uh, I mean, you guys have been giving us a lot of strategies throughout this episode about photography and about listing optimization, but 
This is something that you can give in 30 seconds or less that you feel is somewhat unique. I call this the aura of the product. Basically, down to the core, humans are wired the same, right? So we look for three social cues that are important to whether we look at gravitating towards a particular person or a product. The first one is the main image. So it has to be aesthetically pleasing, and that's how it grabs our attention first. The second social cue is the badges. So any product with an Amazon's uh, choice or bestseller badge is what we will be more inclined to click on. And then the third social cue is basically the social proof. What are, how many people are talking about it and what are they talking about? So that's the reviews and the rating. So Leilama, what is your 30 second tip for our audience? Uh, my tip would be to learn from the pros, whether that's your competitors, big companies, uh, Try to analyze their marketing strategies, their pictures, and learn from it Let, and see what you're lacking in your images and compare and contrast. And that's a good way to learn about what a good image looks like and what a bad image looks like. Very good. Yeah. Don't, don't rely on your own knowledge of what you think looks good. Look what's working for the competitors who are already crushing on Amazon. I like that. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us now. If people want to you know, reach out to either of you to, to ask more questions about listing optimization, about photography, about anything Amazon related, how can they find your services out there on the interwebs? Uh, they can go on our website, which is www.amz1step.com, or they can reach us on our socials, YouTube, um, Instagram, it's, and Facebook, it's amz1step. Um, yeah. Cool. So it's the same. All right. Well, Thank you guys so much for joining us. I was afraid, you know, having brother and sisters, there's going to be some fighting on here, but even through the search volume game, you guys were on the Maybe same page. Later. So even, even though it was the wrong page, but Hey, it was on, the, you're on the same page. <laughs> uh, it shows you that, Hey, si siblings, <laughs> yeah, siblings can be in business together and be successful. So you'll, thank you guys for, for showing us that and, and for joining us. And we'll definitely love to reach out to you maybe next year to see where, where your business has come uh, since then. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, glad to be on the podcast. All right, we'll see you later. Quick note, guys, don't forget that regardless where you are listening to this podcast, whether it's on your iPhone or on Stitcher or on Spotify, that you hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified every time we drop a new episode.